Hello, everyone. I'm Al Daldegan, creator and producer of the Leaders, Innovators, and Big Ideas podcast, supported by Rainforest Alberta. This podcast showcases the people who are working to improve Alberta's innovation ecosystem. Hey, loyal listeners. I'll be hosting this episode myself. I've been involved in software development for more than 25 years. I've started companies, led companies, and worked for companies, doing many different things. I'm honored to be considered a leader in Alberta's innovation ecosystem, and I give back as much and as often as I can. When I'm not working or podcasting, you'll find me pursuing my passions of photography, crypto investing, and woodworking, along with the occasional round of golf. Now join me as I talk with Cool IT Systems VP of Manufacturing, Hamid Rafi, about cool stuff like automation and robots. Here we go. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Leaders, Innovators and Big Ideas podcast for Rainforest Alberta. My special guest today is Hamid Rafi, and he is with Cool IT Systems. So if you remember back in, I guess it was 2019, when I interviewed Bryden Girl from Cool IT, this is sort of a almost like a follow up where we're going to hear a little bit more about what's been going on with the company. But first, I want to uh, welcome Hamid to the show. Hi, Hamid. Hi, thank you so much for having me on the show. Awesome. Great to have you here. Why don't we start out like I usually do and let's learn a little bit about who you are and where you came from and uh, all that kind of cool stuff. Absolutely. So I was born in Iran in 1988. So a bit of a, a long, long journey to get to where I am here in Calgary. I did not ever expected that I would end up in Canada, but life takes you where you don't expect. Growing up, I was a bit of a nerdy kid into science, not not that kind of, you know, Star Wars or Star Trek kind of nerdy kid, but more into science and math and physics, really into those things. It the journey started when I was about 9, 10 years old when we bought a Pentium 2 PC, the very, very early stage computers, which now if you look at, you know, the memory and the, the, the computational capability of those computers, you probably start laughing. But it started from there. I was a young kid, 9, 10 years old. I was really interested into computers and my parents recognized it. I was very lucky to have parents that really supported me to to develop those kind of abilities. So very soon at the age of 11, 12, I got into computer programming and got enrolled in in a class for C++ programming, which was very interesting for me. I was surrounded by university students. I do remember one, one fun memory there is that the teacher asked us to basically write a program that calculates derivative uh, of a mathematical basic function. And soon my hand went up, uh, what is a derivative? And, and the teacher said, yeah, that's not in the scope of this course. You know, you can do something differently. So really always, always into those kind of things. I probably destroyed majority of my, my toys. Some of them, I modified them doing things that they normally don't do. Few few accidents there, a few destruction of my siblings' toys and my own toys that I can remember one fun one. Even later, I think it was in, in middle school when I was playing around with my RC car and basically transplanted a microcontroller on top of it and created this parallel parking automated RC car, which was pretty cool. So always that was that was the theme of theme of my childhood. It was it was more around messing around with, with different systems and understanding how they work. And later it got me to to where I am today. So I don't know how far you want me to 
to go back or how detailed you want me to go through the, the childhood? What was your first job? And then maybe just go over quickly kind of how it led to joining Cool IT Systems. Absolutely. So I did my undergrad degree in electrical engineering back in Iran. And when I was going through the, the undergrad, I knew that I wanted to do something else. I, I, I wanted to do my graduate studies and get a master's degree in engineering. And I did also want to get out of the country and have an experience abroad. I got signed up in an exchange program and got the opportunity to basically move to Italy and work for my internship at a company called SafeTech in Milan in Italy for, for a few months. So that was a very interesting experience. And then after that, that kind of gave me the idea that, yes, I'm on the right path. I want to do graduate studies. And I started looking at programs abroad to, to be able to do my master's degree in, in electrical engineering. So at that point, I looked at a few different countries, U.S. being being one of the main you know hot areas that usually people would want to continue studies in. And also Canada being being an English-speaking country was, was the one of the other top choices. So applied for different universities and got an admission for a scholarship here at University of Calgary. So I started in 2010 in University of Calgary, uh, specifically working on wireless sensor networks. And I did research for about two, three years there. And after finishing my degree, started looking for a job. So that was it for me. I didn't want to continue with a PhD. Disappointed my parents probably at that point, but wanted to really get into industry and, and get a feel of how industry works and be a little bit more hands-on. At that point, started looking for jobs and got an offer from a company called Eaton Corporation. If you're familiar, Eaton is a multi-billion dollar company. They, they have different sectors and different industries. And they have an operation here in Calgary that is specifically is in the area of the control systems. And I got a job there as part of a program called Leadership Development Program. And this is a very interesting stream that uh, Eden had. It's really an, a talent acquisition program where they take new grads out of the school that have potentials to become the next leaders of the, the industry. So I got into this program. The way that it worked, it was basically a two-year program divided into three eight-month rotations. And through these, these assignments, basically, you would get exposed into different product, different function, different, different opportunities, basically, within the, the corporation. So did a couple of engineering roles there and finished with a third assignment, which was mainly in the warehouse operation, which was completely different from my background. And I wanted to feel something differently. So I went into supply chain and basically did a warehouse supervisor role as part of that last assignment. So that program, the way it is designed is that after your three rotations, you basically roll off into regular permanent role. And I ended up basically becoming an engineering team lead within one of the operations for, for Eden. And long story short, I did go through the engineering assignment within, within the plant that I was working on and then moving to supply chain as a supply chain manager, getting a few years of experience with the ERP systems, understanding how to bring new processes and systems in. I do have a knack for seeing where there is inefficiencies in the processes and come up with a better way of doing, doing things. And finally ending up as an operational excellence manager within where I was basically in charge of the continuous improvement, looking at new ways of doing manufacturing. So that's the story there. And at that point, 
uh, one of my ex-colleagues from Eden basically joined uh, Cool IT Systems, and I started knowing about the company. That put it basically on radar for me that, okay, there's this young uh, company that has been a startup, now is getting you know, out of that startup phase. Uh, seems pretty cool. It is in the high-tech industry, working with some of the big names in the industry, and sort of highlighted it for me to, to look at it closer. So an opportunity came up at Cool IT, which was a new role called the Director of Manufacturing in, in the Calgary Operations here in, Cal in Cool IT, which I applied for. And thankfully, I was a successful candidate there. So that's the beginning of that story for joining Cool IT Systems. I think it was end of 2020 in December that I joined Cool IT. So it's uh, definitely past the, the episode where you and Bryden basically connected here and the podcast. So it was my starting point with Cool IT and, and seeing how fast things move. That was the first learning point for me coming from a very large multi-billion dollar company and seeing you know, the, how the business is running there, joining a smaller company who is growing increasingly fast. It was very shocking to see the amount of investment that, that the management team is putting into the company and, and being part of it really and shaping that, that story. So it's been now about more than a year and a half with, with Cool IT and now I'm in the role of the vice president of manufacturing. So very, very exciting stuff happening here. And I'm pretty sure that we, we get to talk about some of those. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like what a fascinating career path. It's really exciting to hear that, you know, you you come from another country and then you took some co-op or whatever in Italy, which is which is I mean, let's face it, Milan, Italy, that's a pretty cool place to be. And then all the way over to Canada. And what an interesting career trajectory over here. And so now that you've got a very significant position in Cool IT and it was a scrappy startup and now is is looking to grow and expand, I'd love to hear some of the things that happened in the company since back in the day when I interviewed Bryden. So maybe you could kind of give us sort of like the Cole's notes of, of some of the great things that are happening over there. Absolutely. So since 2019, I think when the your conversation with Bryden happened, the company has been growing very fast. So not only in in manufacturing, but also across the board in, in different functions. So since then, the the physical from the physical footprint of the the manufacturing and supply chain side of the the business, we have grown uh, almost three times. So it is a very fun feeling. I have been part of it one time so far, and I'm pretty sure that soon there's going to be a second time. It's a very fun feeling when you stand in the manufacturing floor and you basically take a, a hammer and or a sledgehammer and punch a hole into into the wall and, and expand the building into the next available bay in the industrial park. So we, we have been doing that basically three times over the past three years. So significantly growing the footprint of Cool IT. Also opening up the Liquid Lab, which is, which is a separate building and facility next to our manufacturing building dedicated for all of our work when it comes to engineering, testing, validation of the products, prototyping, and all of those things. So significantly growing. One of the fun things I wanted to talk about a little bit about things that happened since then is that when I joined at the end of 2020, uh, there was a huge uh, demand in our backlog as we talked how fast the company is growing as part of it was to be able to scale up pretty rapidly at uh, uh, at Cool IT within the production uh, environment. So I joined and I think it was the, the, the second day or the third day 
Um, my boss at the time basically pulled me into a meeting and said, don't panic, but we need to, you know, increase the capacity in the production by five, six times. I said, okay, that's not bad. That's, that's doable. We can, we can put a plan together and, you know, make it happen within reasonable time. And in my head, I was thinking, you know, two years, three years, that's what I'm looking at, you know, to increase the capacity to that level. And, uh, Basically, the response was that, no, this is happening in six months. So, so at, at that point, we started looking at options. And if you have been part of the manufacturing or work in the manufacturing environment, increasing uh, production capacity to that level of multiples of, you know, uh, two or three times, it's not something that very easily is achieved and due to multiple different reasons. And one would be resources, operators being able to find the right skill sets in the market to be able to employ them, as well as the investment and the footprint and you know production lines and things that you need to set up in order to, to achieve that. So very soon it became clear that expanding and doing things the way that we're doing today, basically in, in 2020, was not the answer to this this huge demand that we're seeing from, from our customers. So at that point, we brainstormed with the team here. I do have a very talented team. And uh, the, the subject of automation came on that, you know, what can we do with automation? And it was it was a concept in the beginning. We worked on it for two, three weeks. Is like, is this really doable? How much how much investment do we need to put into into this system to be able to introduce some level of automation within within the production? And after you know crossing the T's and doing the due diligence, we came up with the fact that yes, it is is absolutely doable to do that. And very aggressively, we went through our first project for automation. So starting in January, February, we started planning the the plans and looking at different robots which was was really cool to find out you know what technologies are out there what kind of robots we would be able to invest money in until i think it was may when uh, we had the robots here in the facility and in beginning of july we have the production line completely running with with collaborative robots and industrial robots. And if if you happen to be uh, in the facility and and take a look at it, and you would be able to see those robots basically producing products. I know our marketing team is is putting videos of those production lines together as well. And soon it's going to be available for, for public to see as well. So pretty cool stuff. Well, I think I'm going to have to hit you or Bryden up for another tour because that's something that really, really fascinates me. And I'd love to check that out for sure. <laughs> what after the after the implementation and, you know, I imagine there was there was a little bit of growing pains and frustration getting things up and running and working or maybe not. Maybe it was smooth as glass. So you want to talk a little bit about what that experience was like? Absolutely. There was a ton of pain. It would be a lie if I said things went smoothly. Um, The first lesson learned through the implementation of that automation system was a concept that is called minimum viable solution. It comes from software development mainly, but now it is making its way into, I think, many of the other fields and, and, and functions as well. And one of it isn't the automation, which is called a viable minimum sell really it is focused on what minimum operation you need to automate in order to get things running and really start getting return back from your investment and sometimes it is very easy to say that in words 
But when you're putting your pen on the paper and you have especially a group of talented engineers together you know, trying to figure out how to make this thing work, they come up with complex ideas that are not necessarily implementable as easy as it sounds. So we definitely went through hiccups there, meaning shooting shooting too far out and, and very quickly understanding that, okay, we need to trim the scope, making it as easy as you know possible to to implement first and then it would be a series of continuous improvement to to get it to the next level and that has now basically transitioned into what i call a, an automation framework for cool it so we are now working on that roadmap of how we go about implementing new automation systems into our production lines and defining that timeline um, uh, funny, funny stories on there, and I, I would share that with you. Is that the, the automated line that we we got right now is consisting? It's it's basically consists of collaborative robots as well as industrial robots. So, very first thought was that you know, collaborative robots they. Uh, if you're not familiar with them, it are uh, basically the robotic arms that you usually see in the videos and in the movies, and they're capable of doing the same tasks human operators can do. So they do have grippers, they have fingers, they, they are able to touch and feel and grab and grip and move components from, from point A into point B. So we started using these robots, and there was a point where... Uh, we thought that we would be able to basically mimic human human motions by using these robots and transfer components the way that the humans do. And very soon we had some some comic visuals here on the production line where a, a collaborative robot was taking a component and completely taking it three meters, four meters up in the air to move it to the other side of the table, just because some some of the the movements might be natural for humans, but not so much for robots. So you need to basically make changes and adapt to them. So it, 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 there, there were some funny moments during that implementation, and we finally find out that you know some some of the things you you can make it easier by just going to something as simple as a gravity conveyor instead of a robot. So you would be able to place a component, have it travel from point A to point B. So a lot of lesson learned, and it it is a journey. We are proud of where we are with with our automation and state of the automation that we've got, but. Looking at the framework and the roadmap, it is really the beginning of what we want to see in our production lines. So a lot of plans to to work on automation, bring more and more of the automated solutions within our organization. Hence the reason that we are hiring you know, more automation engineers in, in our uh, company and in my team specifically to develop those kind of things. Would you be able to comment on after all the headaches and getting things implemented to the point where you're at now today, have you measured a productivity increase or anything like is it is very significant after the implementation of the robots and stuff? Absolutely. So the from the throughput standpoint, the, the throughput through the production going from the manual ways of doing the, the assembly to an automated one has resulted in almost about uh, four times improvement. That four times is divided in, in in basically being able to produce the assembly in a more efficient way, meaning reducing the cycle time through the production, as well as, you know, interestingly, robots don't take breaks and they don't go to washroom and they don't have lunch. So you would be able to operate them during the, the breaks. Uh, the way that the production line runs is basically queuing up the, the line for the robots to operate and then at that point operator would be able to move away do something else and then come back to it when when need be that's really really cool and so it, 
maybe I'm just guessing here, but it sounds like the robots in your situation didn't really take people's jobs away. You guys are actually hiring more people with some some focus on automation. So that's that's kind of a good news story from the labor perspective, isn't it? Absolutely. So if I want to give you some some numbers just to, to understand, and that was one of the fears first when we talk about automation robots, usually that's what comes out that, oh, robots are going to replace people. And everybody thinks about, you know, Robocop and all of these, these movies and, you know, like robots are coming and, you know, they're going to be out of control and they're going to take over. No. So the, the time that I started in with Cool IT, the production and manufacturing staff um, was... Probably around, I'm just doing the math to be accurate, a third of what we have today. So meaning we have increased the the staffing within the manufacturing line two times. And part of it is just the demand. Yeah, this this industry that that we are operating in is is still scratching the surface, meaning it is growing so rapidly and so fast that even with the automation, with increasing the automation, you still need operators and, and, and human intervention within the production environment to be able to operate those machines and feed them the work. So definitely, it is not replacing humans. It is basically creating a more cost-effective manufacturing within, within Calgary and within Canada to be able to uh, increase the, the capacity of the production and employ ultimately more more employees within this operation. And that's, I think, one of the, the success stories. Since 2019, when you talked to, to Bryden, many of our products were manufactured outside of Canada in China. So it is as a result of these kind of initiatives, uh, automation, and really process controls that we are able to bring those products back into Calgary and repatriate them. And be able to hire more more employees within our manufacturing facilities to be able to make that come through. What an exciting result of something that you know typically people, and you know in the media and sto- there's all these stories about the robots coming and taking people's jobs. And one thing that I'm getting from this situation is that by improving the productivity of your production, you're able to produce more items for less cost, which means you can afford to expand your team and grow your people rather than reduce your people. That's that's quite an exciting opportunity. And one of the things that I was just thinking about while you were talking is I know very well what Cool IT does. <laughs> and if people go back and listen to episode 30 from September 10th, 2019, they can learn a little bit more about what Cool IT does. But we should probably recap for the people that are listening to this episode. So Back when I interviewed Bryden, the company had started out building cooling systems for for computers, and they had expanded at that point to the to like enterprise grade server, huge server racks in 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 data centers and stuff, and they were doing these very elaborate cooling systems. Has that changed now, or are you focused on something? else or is that still what you guys are working on it's it's a good question we are still active in in the same industries but nonetheless things has changed so meaning in 2019 where the majority of the effort or before 2019 2019 is a pivotal moment for for cool it when the dlc within the data center space was was becoming you know a, a new things and and customers were starting looking at that or at least the early adopters looking 
looking at that technology to be able to cool the servers. Before that, it was mainly focused around desktop and gaming computers and enthusiastic you know, market and, and people that wanted basically their, their CPUs to do uh, better when they're doing the gaming and you know overclocking issues and those kind of things. They were trying to find a better solution and liquid cooling was, was basically what was providing that. And it was a niche market. We are still active in that market. But having said that, since 2019, the change that has happened is significantly growing that data center side of the business. So the progression of the the servers generations and the CPUs and GPUs that today are going within the data centers has resulted in a need for or or, or probably a bigger need for cooling solutions that make it feasible even to to cool those CPUs. What I mean by that is that we are at a point that air cooling is no longer capable of cooling cooling those servers. Those these new generations of CPUs that are coming out are so um uh, computationally power hungry that we are now operating in in ranges that so much heat is produced while these CPUs are working then air cooling is no longer a viable solution or becomes you know not so efficient to to be used and now more and more we are seeing liquid cooling being uh, deployed in those situations so definitely the big change has been the data center side of the business growing significantly. The desktop side is, is doing great. It's still going on strong, but really that exponential growth has been has been in the data center side. That's exciting. And it's really cool to hear that some of the technology I saw when I was there back back a few years ago it was really, really impressive. And I imagine you've you've grown and the technology has gotten even more cool. <laughs> Pun intended, but uh, no, that's fascinating. What do you see going forward? What sort of exciting things are do you see on the, say, within the next six months or a year? Uh, you're obviously automating more, increasing your your robots and, and your production line capabilities. What else sort of stuff are you planning on doing? There is a lot of initiatives both on the supply chain side and on the manufacturing side. So looking at the manufacturing side, as you mentioned, Automation is going to be the focus. So we are going to see not only automation in the manufacturing and assembly of the products, but also in the testing. That's something that is overlooked in many of the organizations. How much how much time and effort goes into testing a product and ensuring that it, it basically does what it is supposed to do and it's not going to create any issues when it goes to the field. So a significant amount of our um, our effort would be Towards, towards improving and deploying new automated systems for testing and, and catching really quality defects. Today, we are working on vision systems for inspecting the product when it comes to quality of the, the what we call the thermal grease or gap pads within our products, as well as doing functional testing of the product through an automated system. So a lot of efforts through that. On the supply chain side, we are looking at increasing our capability when it comes to to machining, when it comes to basically low-level fabrication within our environment. That's something that today um, we do not have. Uh, we basically purchase a majority of our components through our supply chain, but really getting to the point that we would be able to fabricate those, those lower-level components within our own organization is something that is basically on the top of the list for my team to, to investigate. And we have already invested on some of those capabilities with CNC machines, machining capabilities, laser welders, 
pass evasion systems, really, really cool uh, technologies to basically bring into the facility and start producing some of the products here in, in Calgary again. You know, with more and more onshoring capabilities, that gives you guys the ability to pivot really. I know that when you go offshore, the ability to make a change to a product, the timeline that takes to get that change out onto the actual assembly line and then back is such a long period of time. And then when you're doing it in your own shop, it gives you that ability to just pivot really, really quickly and make minor changes and corrections very, very quickly. And the next batch coming out is already fixed. Am I on the right track there? You're on the right track. And that's that's exactly the thinking. Like having your supply chain so far away from your your manufacturing environment is is not ideal i i use this analogy for for my team here is that you know when when you're having breakfast in the morning and you're missing bread or you don't have your you know biscuit or you know cereal or whatever you you, you want for breakfast you don't drive to the next you know country to to buy it you 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 drive to your neighborhood to the grocery store that is you know close to you so and and better if if you have a bread maker at home you you make your own bread so really that's that's as simple as that and you're absolutely right one of the the good examples is that we, we were chatting briefly before before we start together and is the use of the new technologies that are out there like the 3D printers we previously used to purchase our fixtures that we need for our production lines from suppliers that majority of them because of the the matter for the cost matters are basically in asia and you can imagine how much time and how much effort needs to go into designing a fixture ordering it across the globe and then coming in and you're finding out that one dimension is you know slightly different than what you need and now making a revision and and requesting basically a second shipment would result in three months four months you know already delay in in your product launch so having these capabilities and it's surprisingly cheap in comparison to to what it used to be to basically bring up a 3d baiting printing capability in the facility and start, you know, building our own fixtures. Now we have turnarounds of, I think, about four hours to get our fixtures when we need them, and we can do as many as revisions as we want. So the flexibility and the control that these new technologies bring is outstanding. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, you and I were commenting about 3D printing because uh, you can see my 3D printers in behind me on the on the camera. And, uh, you know, it's, it's such a fascinating technology, and I can imagine that you know in a lot of fields a lot of industries that ability to just within a few hours create something from nothing and being able to prove that it fits or prove that it's the right size to contain whatever it's supposed to contain and then once you know that then you can actually mass produce it in china or whatever because you can send them the 3d cad file and say make me a whole bunch of these right So that, that's that's just fascinating technology, and it's really, really cool to see that that you guys are making use of that. And yeah, I, I need to get down there and come visit you. <laughs> Absolutely. We will gladly have you here. Perfect. So is there anything else that you'd like to touch on, Hamid, before we wrap this up? Um, so one, one thing I wanted to say is that for your audience, if anybody is interested in in automation, that is our focus. We do have tons of opportunities uh, opening up. I do have, as a, as a matter of fact, one one position open as an automation engineer. So if anybody is interested in it, make sure you check out our website at coolitsystems.com in under career. And there are tons of other postings as well within within the Cool IT. We have been very rapidly growing over the past couple of years, and that continues. 
Excellent. Well, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that are very excited to hear that. And Cool IT, even though you're a fairly significant sized company in Calgary, you do fly a little bit under the radar because your head's down making things happen. And it's good to be able to promote you when we get that opportunity so that people can know that you're a great Calgary success story. So thank you so much for your time, Hamid. It was really great getting caught up on where Cool IT is. And thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you. Appreciate it so much. If you haven't already, visit rainforestab.ca and sign the Rainforest Social Contract. Become part of the inclusive, silo-busting, sector-agnostic, all-industry, open-sourced, ego-shrinking, ecosystem-building, entrepreneur-focused, wide-open, social barrier-smashing community known as Rainforest Alberta. This episode was brought to you by New Idea Machine. We build great custom software while bridging the gap between education and experience. New Idea Machine makes your ideas real. Visit newideamachine.com for more info. Music for the show was created by Tony Deldegan. Please be sure to share this episode with everyone you know. Also, don't forget to come by and say hi at the next Rainforest event. Let us know what you think of this podcast. If you're interested in being either a host, sponsor, or a guest of the show, send me an email at rainforestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.